The value of a traditional college degree has come heavily under fire. It is a raging debate, not only in America, but around the world. Affordability is at the center of this discussion, as is enrollment declines and the emergence of alternative credentialing models. According to a recent survey from the University Professional and Continuing Education Association, 7 in 10 college leaders say micro-credentials could help enrollment and revenue. But it's not just a question of revenue, and it's not just a question of enrollment. It has everything to do with the students. And around the world, these students are making clear choices and signaling where they want to go. In Coursera's second quarter 2021, the company reported revenue growth of 38% on the strength of global demand for reskilling and sustained demand for career-oriented professional certificates targeted at entry-level digital jobs. Similarly, online education company 2U, which partners with many leading universities and recently purchased edX, reported 36% growth in its alternative credentials business segment in its most recent quarter. Meanwhile, the traditional college degree has seen a steep drop in enrollment since 2015, according to the National Student Clearinghouse. When we had a high of 19.2 million students enrolled in campuses for the fall of the 2015 semester. In early 2019, enrollment dropped to 17.5 million. That is a decline of well over 2 million. This was all prior to the pandemic. And of course, the pandemic has only further exacerbated this issue. This is a conversation the FutureX podcast brings to the table today. I'm Hector H. Lopez. Let's go to our moderators, Matt, Isabel, and Christine. As they welcome higher ed changemaker, President Santa Ono of the University of British Columbia, anew. President Ono, thank you for being here. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to ask Isabel to see if there's a question that she wants to pull up. So the introduction to the question is, questions are currently being raised about the cost and the value proposition of higher ed, as well as about a job credentialing system managing a four-year degree and more uh, additional degrees sometimes. And that, of course, turns out to be expensive for people. So the question, there are two questions. The first one is, do you support the system of alternative credentials starting to be embraced by many employers, in, in particular in the tech world? World And the second question is, um, are you worried that such a system would result in deep cuts in enrollment if students don't realize that they don't need a four-year degree to get a job? Thank you. Oh, those are, are, are great, great questions. The first question is, do I support these sorts of alternative uh, credentials by other institutions other than post-secondary or higher education? Well, it, it's really not uh, for me to support or not to support. Uh, it's already happening, as you know. And, um, you know, there are uh, lots of very large multinational companies uh, that are o- already rolling these out, as you know, or have plans uh, to provide education locally to their tens of thousands of employees. So it's really not for me to approve or support it. It's just happening. So that's the first question. Um, could you repeat the second question? Sure. So the second question is... Um well, since it's happening, we all know it's happening. Are you worried that such a system will result in deep cuts in enrollment 
since the students are going to realize they don't need a four-year degree to get the job? That's a great question. You know, this has been something that uh, university leaders have been thinking about uh, for decades. Uh, you know, we, I mentioned edX and there's Coursera, and uh, there were many people that said to me even 10 years ago, uh, you know, this is going to be a disruptive uh, change to educational delivery. Are you worried that the University of Cincinnati and UBC will no longer exist uh, in 10 years? Uh, we're now here 10 years later, uh, and uh, enrollment has never been higher. Uh, applications, even during the pandemic, has, have been at record levels. Uh, competition to get into the university has never been higher. And actually, the pandemic was quite, a, quite a, an experiment, if you will. It's an awful, awful thing that's happened that we're still dealing with. But in terms of university enrollment, it was, um, some people actually predicted that, that it would force this disruption and that we would see a dramatic drop in enrollment. Actually, when you survey prospective students um, and, and, you, and you speak with students uh, that started out uh, at university and had to take time and learn remotely, um, overwhelmingly, um, the ones who started out here on campus can't wait to get back. They hated uh, the remote uh, learning um, situation that the pandemic forced. And uh, it's really clear that... Um, Students that are coming up, prospective students, they, they yearn for the kind of uh, educational experience that occurs on campus. I, I think part of it is the educational component. Part of it is the socialization component. Uh, I think that, um, in, I think especially in, in North America, uh, a college or university education is considered to be more than just education. It's uh, educa education of the person. It's, it's a rite of passage. Um, and it's a it's a place to meet people, and so that cannot be substituted uh, wholly by a, a remote or distance learning format. So I think that's part of the reason that uh, this drop in enrollment hasn't occurred. It has occurred in other kinds of schools. Uh, I should say that the schools that have seen the largest increases in applications and enrollment remaining study have been uh, the the major global research universities, uh, the Ivy League schools, the flagship public institutions, very highly ranked uh, universities have done well. Um, as you know, if you look elsewhere across the ecosystem, there are public universities that are not flagships, that may not be highly ranked, that have seen significant enrollment drops. So what we're experiencing here may not reflect what's happening across the whole system, uh, but um, if you ask, am I personally concerned? Um, I am not. Uh, Affordability is certainly, the other part of your question, something that we should all be concerned about. We should try to keep um, a university education as economic, econo economical as possible. Uh, as, as you may know, um, the cost of tuition at UBC is a fraction of that at public universities in the U.S., and it's certainly much, much less than uh, private institutions in the United States. And uh, um, I think that's part of what makes... Uh, public universities like UBC uh, continuously uh, attractive uh, for prospective students. And, and we do need to keep an eye on uh, keeping uh, the education uh, affordable to as many students as possible. Uh, Christine, do you want to follow up? I know you said you had a follow-up question. So I think you mentioned a couple of things that seem like they're important to students. You just ended on this idea of affordability before you mentioned the tension between, or I guess the additive uh, benefit of being on campus and having a social experience. So I'm wondering if you had to analyze why 
an 18-year-old, a 20-year-old goes to college at this point in time, what do you think that they're looking for in your student body or college students more generally? I think it's uh, shifting. Uh, once again, it's another great question. I think it's a mixture. And uh, there are multiple reasons for every individual student. And there's multiple reasons that uh, if you look across a student body, that they want to come to a, a university uh, like UBC. Uh, to be frank, uh, there are some who want to 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 go to college or university because it's uh, what they've seen everyone else do. They've seen their parents talk about when they were students at Michigan or UCLA or, or Toronto or UPC. And so it's part of the consciousness uh, ever since they arrived uh, in, in their family unit. Um, and and uh, I can tell you it's happening in, in my household right now. I have a, a grade 11 uh, student uh, who... Uh, I, I listen to her talk to her friends, and they're all talking about where are we going to go to university. It's just something that's expected. And, 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 and if you're in grade 11 or grade 12 in, in, in most high schools, that's what the students talk about. So it's, it's part of the life uh, cycle, if, if you will. That's part of it. Um, but in, in just thinking about undergraduates over the past, say, 25 years that I've been uh, in universities as, as a faculty member, I can say that things are shifting. Uh, I can say that increasingly students are coming to university wanting more than just disciplinary knowledge in their major or their minor. Uh, I can tell you that students are becoming uh, much more activist in nature, uh, that they feel an urgency and a responsibility. They, they express a concern about the future of the planet. Um, you know, we had thousands of students at, at UBC uh, demand action. Uh, that uh, uh, was really the foundation for the university declaring a climate emergency. I salute them for um, their uh, service to to um, the region and, and to the nation and to the world um, and holding us accountable um, as an institution to think through what role we need to play to address this emergency. So um, students, I think, come um, because it's something that, as I said, has been happening in their families for generations. I think they come uh, because it's, it's uh, as we now know, uh, much more fulfilling to be with uh, peers your age uh, and to be uh, on the same campus and to be able to um, cross paths with uh, world-leading experts, as is the case when you're on a campus like UBC. But I think they also come to campus uh, uh, because of... Um, um, the opportunity to grow as human beings to, to uh, the socialization aspect of it as well. I guess if I could add one more follow-up, that idea, you had also mentioned it before about uh, growing as human beings, that you think that that's a really important job for the university. And so I'm wondering if there's an initiative that's close to your heart that's trying to help students do that, or if you could imagine one from scratch, how might we kind of integrate this academic pursuit with this kind of life skill, human skill pursuit? Well, there are different kinds of, of things, I think, that students can pick up at an educational institution. And, and different universities commit more or less resource uh, towards creating that kind of opportunity. One is really just thinking about values and, and ethics. And um, that's accomplished uh, by a number of different uh, programs that exist at places like UBC and uh, other universities I've worked at. 
uh, and, and sometimes it's in the form of a common book, a common book that uh, students read early on in their career or near the end. Um, I give out a, a common book to a number of students uh, when they graduate from UBC uh, because I think that continuing education and uh, emphasizing the importance of continuing education is important. So you give a common book uh, that is thought-provoking when students enter an institution, but I think it's equally important to give them a provocative uh, book to think about as they start the next chapter of a, their life after university. And so that's one way, is to, to give them something uh, that uh, hopefully elicits in them um, deep questions about their role in society or what is right and what is wrong. And so that's, that's one way institutions can educate uh, and uh, really um, encourage students to think about their role in society. Um, there, you can also do it by um, speaker series. So we launched something here called uh, UBC Connects, which we actually uh, provide not only for students, but also for members of the community, where we bring in individuals that, that think about uh, topical areas that are challenging and that need to be solved. You know, we brought in an entire group of speakers here uh, to think about um, um, divisiveness and to think about um, uh, racial uh, tension and unrest in our cities. Uh, and, 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 and so we brought in a number of speakers and individuals that uh, uh, were instrumental in things such as the hashtag Me Too movement, uh, Black Lives Matter, um, to, so that students could hear directly from them and think about what's happening in society. So that it's not just about uh, technical or, or STEM-based knowledge, but it's also for them to grow as, as uh, future citizens and, and to think about how, uh, once they graduate from the institution, what role they can play in addressing these challenges that we face as a civilization. Cousin Ono was born in Vancouver, a graduate of University of Chicago with a, a bachelor's. He did get his PhD from McGill University. He is a president of a Canadian school, but he was also a president of a U.S. school. So he brings this amazing perspective from both the U.S. as well as, as Canada. He was the 28th president of University of Cincinnati, and today he is the 15th president of University of British Columbia. This episode was recorded live on Clubhouse. Check us out at the Future X Tribe. It was produced by the Future X Tribe, Beyond Academics, and the Next Global Organization. Executive Director and Chief Moderator, Matt Alex. Edited by BNext Media. I'm Hector H. Lopez. We'll see you next time as we continue our discussions with the higher ed changemakers on the Future X podcast.